Hello, Parkview. Good to see you today. Glad you're here. Yeah, you're staying uh, good and warm. Glad you made the choice to be around this weekend. Uh, I want to say hello to everybody all around Chicagoland, everybody around Orland Park here, everybody out at New Linux, everybody at Homer Glen, uh, everybody online. Glad you're a part of this weekend. And we are wrapping up this series called Explore God. Uh, if you've been around here the last few weeks. And before we dive into today, uh, I want to take just a moment and reflect back on last weekend. Uh, if you were around here, uh, Pastor Tim was here, PT, and he shared just an incredible message is why I want to reflect on it. He, I mean, it was on fire, and the title of the message was, Is Christianity Too Narrow? And what he did was he basically took Christianity and then all kinds of other religions from around the world and what they believe and how they get to God and what they believe about things, and, and he, he held them up against each other. So if you've ever had questions about Christianity and other religions or your kids or your grandkids or anyone, man, I'm telling you, it was an incredible, an incredible message. And I want to encourage you to go back and watch that uh, online uh, as we are diving into this Explore God series and kind of coming near the end. It was just fantastic. Actually, the whole message was fantastic except for the first couple minutes. Um, that's where Pastor Tim talked about the Patriots trampling the Rams in the Super Bowl last Sunday, and he had all kinds of scripture for that if you were here and remember, which made me very sad, uh, but that actually did happen. So if, if you want to go back, you, you can skip like the first three minutes online and then just watch the rest of it because the rest of it's really good. So... Uh, he also did this. He also took a little poll last week uh, that I, I want to take again today. And that is just how many of you all around uh, Chicagoland, by a show of hands, uh, have roots in the Catholic Church. You have grown up or been a part of the Catholic Church or your friends or you still have some family members who are. Just raise your hand all around. Now keep them up. Look around wherever you are. All kinds of people, Right. All kinds of us have roots or friends in the Catholic Church. And around Parkview, every weekend, uh, we have questions about, you know, how is Parkview like the Catholic Church? Or how is Parkview different than the Catholic Church? And so next week, we're going to wrap up the series today. And then next week, Pastor Tim is going to jump into just a two-week short series on Parkview and the Catholic Church. And we're going to look at some of the things that are similar uh, about the Catholic Church and Parkview, some of the things that are different about uh, Parkview and the Catholic Church, and just learn and study and grow on, on how we uh, see Jesus and God and those sorts of things. And so if you've ever had questions about that, if you have neighbors or classmates who kind of, they're afraid to ask questions, but they'd love to just hear somebody talk about it for a little while, man, next week will be an incredible opportunity for that. So I hope you'll be there. Uh, but today, we are wrapping things up, and we have the big question that we're hitting today in our Explore God series, and that is, is Jesus really God? Uh, what a great way to wrap up, right? I'm not sure there's a bigger, uh, more epic question than that. Is Jesus really God? This question has eternal implications, the way you and I answer uh, this question. In fact, I would uh, say this, that a hundred years from now, the only thing that will matter is what you believe about Jesus. A hundred years from now, the only thing that's going to matter in your life and my life is how you answer that question, is Jesus really God? It, it, it's true. There's all, there's all kinds of things that are important that we talk about, I mean, for instance, you know, friends. We talk about our kids and students, you know, your friends and even adults, who you hang out with, who your friends are. That's really, really important because it determines a lot of what you see and believe and stuff in life and that sort of thing. Uh, where you go to college, 
It's really important for our kids, for our students. I have my son Cole uh, with me this weekend. We're touring around colleges around the country. We're looking at a few colleges here in Chicago land. So my son Cole, uh, we call him Coltrane, is here with me this weekend. And, and uh, where he goes to college is big. Right, Because it determines a lot of who he hangs with and gets to know and what he studies and what he does for a career and, and all kinds of things like that. It's a really important thing. Even just this weekend, having Cole here with me, I, I helped him walk through another really important decision in Chicagoland, and that is the pizza you choose. Right? <laughs> And so I, you know, train up a child in the way he should go, right? And so that's me, and I know some of you have disagreements with that, but that's important, right? Especially in Chicagoland, it's like, hey, what, what's your pizza? Or, or, or moving on, what about who you marry? We talk about all the time, uh, who you marry, who you decide to do life with and unite with is a big deal. That's important. But I'll tell you this, as important as all those things are, the only thing, the only thing that's going to matter a hundred years from now is what you and I believe about Jesus. That's it. And so today, we're going to take some time to wrap up this series and we are going to dig in hard to the Bible and what it says about who Jesus is. And I know there's all kinds of opinions in our world about Jesus, whether he's the son of God or whether he's God or whether he's not or just a good man and all that sort of thing. He's kind of a polarizing person to a lot of people in our world. I get that. And to me, sometimes when I think about Jesus, it, it makes me think about back years ago when I was a youth pastor, and I was down in Panama City Beach, Florida. If you've ever been down there, I was with another youth pastor, and we had a free afternoon, and so we rented uh, one of these pontoon boats. You ever seen these pontoon boats? They're, they're not the most agile, but you know they'll, they'll get you around. They're not the quickest, but we rented a pontoon boat, and, and what we were going to do is head out to this place called Shell Island. Maybe you've heard of Shell Island. I think it's a couple miles out in the ocean, and so we're, we're heading out on this day. And it's just a beautiful, we're in this kind of big bay area that goes into a channel that goes out into the ocean. And there's all kinds of boats around us. There's all kinds of jet skis, you know, buzzing all around us, jumping over the wake of our pontoon boat and, and stuff like that. And, and, and we were just, man, we, it, it was a beautiful day. We, we couldn't believe that they rented us a boat. You know, it's like, are they crazy? Who knows what we're going to do with this thing? So. We're cruising out there, and we're just talking, and then all of a sudden we realize that there's really no boats or jet skis around us. All of them are all off to the side of the bay. They're off to the side of the channel, right up by the land. And we start looking, and up in front of us, hundreds of yards away still, but is this huge ferry boat. Like, it has hundreds and hundreds of people on it, and it's blowing the big horn, and it is just barreling into this channel. It is barreling into this bay, and every single person, every boat, every jet ski is, is having to go one side or the other. Everybody was making a choice that afternoon, Right? Nobody was playing chicken with that big boat, right? It just wasn't happening. And sometimes when I think about Jesus, I think the same way. For the last several thousand years, Jesus has kind of pressed slowly and, and steadily into humanity, sort of forcing people to one side or the other of what they think about him. And the question is, what is it about Jesus that, that kind of makes him like a big ship in a crowded bay that, that, that forces people one way or another upon viewing and coming in contact with him. Well, before we talk about what I, I believe it is that causes that, let's talk about what I don't think it is. First of all, I don't think it's his existence, historically speaking. 
The matter of Jesus' historical existence in our world as a man in the first century is pretty much accepted by everyone. Even non-religious historians, people who don't believe in God or Jesus at all, they oftentimes reference this man in the first century, Jesus, in their writings. So was there a man named Jesus in the first century? It's part of our historical record that there was. Now, was he God? I don't know. Well, I don't know what you think about that, but did he live? Yeah. In fact, if you Google Jesus... You're going to find millions of websites that call him the founder of the Christian faith. That, that's, that's who he was. He was the founder of all this. If you wanted to, you could get on an airplane and you could go to Israel. Some of you have done this. And you can actually go and see where he grew up. You can, you can walk around there. You, you can go to the river where he was baptized, where he was plunged in the water. You can actually go stand in that river. Some of you have done that. You can go to a mountainside around the Sea of Galilee where, where Jesus, you can go right where he stood and talk to hundreds and, and thousands of people. You can do that. You can go to this place, this garden uh, that it talks about in the Bible where, where, where Jesus, the historical person, stood when, when he was going to be betrayed and he was going to be killed. He was with some of his best friends and he stood around and prayed that night in the garden. You, if you wanted to, you can go there. You can stand in that garden. You can go to the tomb. It's called the garden tomb where they believe that Jesus, was, his body was laid. In fact, I went there a few years ago with some folks. This is a picture of the garden tomb. This, this is where Jesus is, is laid and, and, and buried. You, you can go see that. You, you can see that with your own eyes. And, and what I'm trying to say is that the historical part of Jesus is just widely accepted. In fact, in a recent Barna report, uh, 92% of Americans believe in a historical Jesus. The, the fact that a man named Jesus lived. So if it's not the historical part of Jesus that sends people fly into one side or the other, what is it? Is it his teachings? It's actually not. It's not his teachings. A lot of people, most people you talk to, actually really appreciate Jesus' teachings when it comes to love and acceptance and generosity and integrity. Most people around our world love those teachings of Jesus. Most people really appreciate his concern for the poor and the outcast and the oppressed and orphans and widows. They would say, man, he did a really good job with that. So here's the deal. If it's not his existence and it's not his teachings... What is it that's so polarizing about Jesus? What's the big deal, right? Well, you know what the big deal is. It's that Jesus claimed to be God. He claimed to be God. Now, let your mind go into that a little bit today. He, he, this mere man who walked on the earth that we walk on, breathed the air that we breathe. I mean, he jumped, he laughed. He, he, he went fishing, for crying out loud. He, he rode around in boats. He just did normal stuff. He was just a person like you and I, but yet he said, I'm God. And by the way, he didn't, he didn't say, I'm a God, right? There's a lot of people who come along and said, hey, I'm a God. There's a whole lot of us. God's around. Whoever you want to worship, you just take your pick. There's a whole lot of us. That's fine, but I'm one of them, okay? That's not what Jesus said. He said, I am the God, the creator of all things. And that's what sends people flying to one side of the bay or the other. One of the clearest examples in the Bible, uh, of, there's several places, but one of the clearest of Jesus explaining who he is and claiming that he is God is found in John chapter 10. 
of your Bible. If you have a Bible or something, you can look that up. I'm also going to have it up here on the screen. But what's happening in John chapter 10 is that Jesus is in the temple. And he's walking around, and the temple in that day and age would be just be like our church house. It's where you go to church. And so he's walking around the church, walking around the temple, and people start asking him all kinds of questions about who he is. And take a look at this, John chapter 10. How long will you keep us in suspense? These are a lot of the religious leaders and people. If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. If you're the one that God sent... If you're God in the flesh, then just tell us, just let us know. And it sounds like a pretty safe, easy question, but what these people were trying to do is they were trying to trap him. They were trying to incriminate him, get him to say something. And Jesus goes on and says this, hey, I did tell you, but you did not believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you do not believe because you are not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. And then catch this. I and the Father are one. Me and God, this God I'm talking about, we're we're one, he says. He says it just as clearly as you can see it. We, We are the same person. In fact, later on in John, I think it's John chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, if you have seen me, you have seen who? The Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And when Jesus says this, it causes, it freaks these people out. It, it polarizes them, just like it does today. Look, look at what happens. Continue on. Again, his Jewish opponents picked up stones to stone him. But Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from the Father and for which of these do you stone me? What is it that, that I'm doing? And they said, hey, okay, okay. We're not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy because you, a mere man, claim to be God. Hey, Jesus, it's, it's not what you're doing. It's not what you're saying. It's not all these miraculous things like, like we talked about earlier. It's not just your teachings. It's that you You are claiming to be the creator, God, in the flesh. That's what polarizes people. That's what sends people flying to one side of the bay or the other back then and even in our world today, that he claimed to be God in the flesh. I don't know how many of you read uh, some older literature and people like C.S. Lewis and things like that. It's some fantastic reads. Uh, C.S. Lewis has this classic book called Mere Christianity. And and in Mere Christianity, take a look at what C.S. Lewis says about all this we're studying today. He says, you must make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God or else a madman or something worse. You can shut him up for a fool or you can spit at him and kill him as a demon. Or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come up with any patronizing nonsense about him being a great human teacher. He has not left that open to us. Now, it seems to me obvious that he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend. And consequently, I love this, however strange, however terrifying, however unlikely it may seem, I have come to accept the view that he was and is God. And that may be some of how you feel or your kids or your grandkids feel. No matter how unlikely, it, 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 I don't know how to exactly explain it all. It's, un, it's unlikely. It, it, it seems kind of strange. It seems kind of terrifying that God could actually become man. But like he said, I, I have come to believe and accept that he is God in the flesh. In the Bible, I think one of the most 
pure and succinct places where, where Jesus talks about being God is in Philippians chapter 2 or, or how all of that worked, not just how he talks about it. And we're going to put it up on the screen, but I also want to read it to you from my Bible because this section of Scripture uh, really shows how and what God did. Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5, it says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Verse 6, Who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. In the very nature of God. Look at that. Everybody say nature. In the very nature God. That word nature in the Greek language, the original language, is the word morphe. Morphe. And what it literally means is the very form of God, or it means the essence of God. Jesus and God, they, they were the same essence while they're in heaven. It says that Jesus held everything that God did in his hands, right? But he didn't grasp it, it says, too tightly. He was willing to let go of his godness, the essence, the form of God. He was willing to let go of that to come down here to this earth. Verse 7, but he made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant. There you see it again, the very morphe. God, who is God, becomes a servant, becomes a man. The very morphe, the very essence of man being made in human likeness. Now here's what I want you to realize, friends. This right here, this for most people that we know, maybe for some of you, this is the apex of the problem for many. It, they, we just don't understand. So, like, how did God, I, I get it, I, I, I can even believe that there's a God up there who maybe designed and put everything together and created everything, but how, how, how does he become here? How does that God become a person? I don't get that. I don't understand it. How and why would, would God do something like that? And because a lot of times we can't understand how or why he did it, we just say, well, then forget it. I, I, I'm out. It's been about three years ago now, back in 2016, that I shared a story with you, one of my favorite stories, and I think it gives a lot of just insight into how and why God would do what he did, specifically here in Philippians chapter 2. It's a, it's a story from a guy named Kierkegaard. It's an old, old story about a king who, who lived hundreds of years ago, and this king had this huge kingdom. And every night after dinner, what this king would do is he'd go up onto the roof of his castle and he would look out over his kingdom and he'd see all these people working in the fields and they were just coming in and they were in rags and they were peasants and they were dirty and sweaty and smelly because they'd been working all day. And so he'd watch these people come in from his kingdom and, and he started noticing this one peasant woman, this one lady. And he kind of began to watch her and how she acted and how she sang and smiled as she was coming in. And her heart was, and he's like, man, I just, I, I'm falling for her. And so the king keeps watching her night after night. Eventually, the king brings his advisors up onto the roof with him one night. And, and, and he sees everybody coming in. He points them out and he says, hey, you guys see this woman right here coming in? Look, she's coming right up near the castle. That's where she lives. Isn't she amazing? I think I love her. I'm falling for her. You got to help me know what to do. I, she's got to be mine. And one of his advisors pipes up and says, here's what you do. You just command it. You just command that she's got to be your queen. You can do that, right? And the king says, you know what? I could. I'm the king. I have all the power in the kingdom. I could just say, you got to love me. You got to be my bride. And she would have to be mine. She would have to come in and, and, and adhere to that. But then he begins to think, you know what? If I did that, how would I know if she really loves me or I'm just making her love me because of all my power? That doesn't work. I can't do that. 
And so a few more days, a week goes by, brings his advisors back up there and says, hey guys, you got to help me. I have fallen for her. I got to be with her. What do I do? And one of them says, here's what you do. You you just buy her stuff, okay? Ladies love stuff, right? Just, Just buy her a bunch of stuff. That would be amazing. And the king says, you know what? I could do that. I have all the resources in the world. I could bless her. I could just, I could like take her to Nordstrom and get purses and stuff for her like crazy. She would love that. We, we could go to anthropology. They got great shoes there and they got, they got some really soft, you know, t-shirts. I could take her there. And, and, and the king says, but, but if I did that, how would I know if she really loves me or she just loves the stuff I'm giving her, the, the, the purses and the shoes and the things or whatever it, it is. And he says, no, that, that, that's not going to work. A few more days go by, a week goes by. And the king knows what he has to do. He gets up early one morning, and just as the sun is coming up, and he goes down to the back of the castle where all the workers and the peasants are coming in to cook and clean and stuff like that. And he goes back there, and he takes off his kingly robe, lays his robe down on the ground. He takes his crown off, and he sets his crown down on the ground, and he puts on some of these rags and some of these peasant clothes and he goes out the back of the castle and he walks out into the field to be with the one he loved you see the king became just as ragged as the one he loved right it was the only way it was the only way for them to really be together and it's the same way friends with our God God has become one of us. We celebrate this just a few months ago. We talk about it a lot at, at Christmas time. We say that he is Emmanuel, right? Jesus, God, is Emmanuel. And Emmanuel means what? God with us. Everybody say that with me. God with us. That is Emmanuel. God with us. Us. That's what he did. And it goes on in verse 8 and says, But being found in appearance of man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus, who is God, went to death on a cross. He died on the cross. And this is where we really get into the God part. This is what sends people scrambling to one side of the bay or the other. Because everybody expected that when Jesus died, he would stay what? Dead. Right? Pretty much 100% of the time when people die, they stay that way. That's where we're hovering around right now. But that's not what happened with Jesus. He died, he defeated death, and then he burst forth from the grave. And it says because of that in verse 9, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that's above every name. That in the name of Jesus every knee should bow on heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's so good. So good. Uh, Take a look at at what a guy named Tim Keller says about all of this. He's a pastor in New York City, and he just has some credible words. He says this. He says, if Jesus rose from the dead, then you have to accept all that he said. Okay, you just do. If he didn't rise from the dead, then why worry about any of what he said, right? Just pack it up and go home and enjoy an afternoon of football, okay? Okay. That's the deal. The issue on which everything hangs is not whether or not you like his teachings. It has nothing to do with that. The issue at hand is whether or not he rose from the dead. If Jesus did this, friends, if if he really is God and he rose up from the grave, then listen, you and I, we got to follow everything he said. 
But if he didn't, then we may as well, you know, we're singing a few songs. That's great. We can give some high fives and hugs here today, but we may as well just go home. If he didn't really rise from the grave, it's what, listen, Parker, it's what Jesus did in the resurrection that sets him apart from every other person who has ever lived on this earth. It's what sets him apart from every other religious leader. Last weekend, we studied a lot of other religions, a lot of other things that people believe. What sets Jesus apart from every single one of those other leaders and religions around the world is what he did in defeating death and coming back to life. In fact, take a look at this. I've written some of these down. Buddha, one of the founders, uh, the founder of Buddhism. Buddhism has millions, tens of millions of people who follow after Buddhism and Buddha. Buddha died at 83 years old, and he's buried in Nepal, okay, in the Himalaya Mountains. You can, you can go there. People go there and worship him, and they see where he's buried and where he still lays. The prophet Muhammad Muhammad is the founder of Islam, right? There are hundreds of millions of people who follow after Islam in our world uh, today. Muhammad died in the year 632. He's buried in Medina in Saudi Arabia. People still make pilgrimages there to, to see him and his body and his bones and that sort of thing. Joseph Smith, he's the founder of Mormonism. Maybe you've been involved in Mormonism, have some friends who have been involved in that. Do you know Joseph Smith was killed right here in this state in Illinois? That's where he was killed. And he's buried right here in this state. That's where Joseph Smith is buried. Charles Russell, the founder of Jehovah's Witness. He died in 1916 and is buried in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. L. Ron Hubbard, the founder of Scientology. It's kind of a huge, huge religion and faith with Tom Cruise is in it, John Travolta, a lot of people out in the West. He died in 1986 and he's buried in, in central California. And, and here's the thing, Parkview, we could go on and on and on to all kinds of other religious leaders and people like that who said they you know, were close to God or they were gods or they founded religions and things like that. We can basically, we can do this, we can go to any grave of any founder of any other religion in this world and guess what? Their bodies are still there. They're still there. But here's what I want you to know. I mentioned this earlier. If you and I wanted to, you can go to the outskirts of the old city in Jerusalem, and you can go to a grave there where Jesus was put, and guess what? It's empty. It's empty. It is. That's good news. There isn't anybody there. In fact, catch this. It's the only place in the world where people still travel to see what's not there. Isn't that crazy? I mean, people spend $10,000, they're going to go see, yep, that's right, he's not there. You want to go in the tomb, check it out. Yep, he's still not there. We go spend all kinds of money to see what's not there. He isn't there. And I'll tell you this, I'll tell you this, the people in that first century, a lot of these people who didn't like Jesus, who didn't want the resurrection to be true, the religious leaders, the political leaders, things like that, listen, they could have put all this to rest. They could have squashed all that. They could have completely put away this whole idea of a resurrection right, right in the first century. Easily. They could have easily done that. How, how could they have done it? It would have been simple. You know what all they'd had to do? Present a body. That's all. Thousands of people who didn't like Jesus, who wanted to kill him, all they would have had to do is present a body. And, and they, if, if they could have taken people, if they could have taken Jesus' disciples, people who were following after him and said, hey, okay, 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 look, we know, we know all this stuff's going on, but look, here, here he is. He's in this tomb, or it's the wrong tomb that you were looking at, or he's at somebody's house because they took his body. I don't care what it is, frankly, but here's his body, okay? He's still dead. If they could have just presented a body, it would have been all over. Right then, right there. But guess what? They did not do that. You know why? Because they could not do that. Jesus, listen, listen. 
Jesus is God. And I know it seems strange at times, and it's hard to understand, and it may even seem unlikely, but Jesus is God in the flesh, and he defeated death. And what amazes me as I study it in some ways even more is that Jesus actually predicted that he would do it. Jesus told everybody what he was going to do before he did what he did. That's pretty unbelievable. Take a look at this also in the book of John. Destroy this temple. Jesus is walking around the church again with a bunch of people, a bunch of his followers, a bunch of other religious people. He's in the church house. He's in the temple. And he says, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it again in three days. And they replied, okay, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you're going to raise it again in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. It's, it's not this church. It's not this temple that took all these decades to build. No, 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 no. What I'm talking about is me. What Jesus is saying is, look, look, here, here's what's going to happen. Uh, you're going to kill me. I'm going to die. I'm going to be put in the ground. I'm going to be buried. But then three days later, I'm going to be raised up to a new life. And part of you, I want you to know that as you study the Bible, after Jesus rose from the dead in the book of Acts in the Bible, which tells about the very first church, that is their message. The message of the first church in the book of Acts is not just about Jesus' teachings, though his teachings are amazing. And they continue to live by them individually. They continue to live by them as a community. But the message of the first church in the book of Acts, that as it began to explode, was this, Okay. They were going around town going, okay, okay, y'all know what? He's back, okay? He's back. He, he, he died, but then he came back to life. And they were saying, you know, some of you, he, he died, some of you killed him, but, but he came back to life. He is alive. He is God. And that was their message. And, and they would say, because of that, we as individuals and we as a church, we, we now have this power of him resting upon us, Parkview, do we understand that? We now have this purpose for our lives and our church. We, we, are, we are new. We have new life because of what he did. This weekend, I finished reading this little book by Brendan Manning, who's an incredible author. He wrote like the ragamuffin gospel and things like that. But this book is called The Furious Longing of God. And, and I want to read you just near the end of the book, uh, second to last chapter, Brennan talks a little bit about the church and what Jesus did and the power Jesus came and God came to give us. Look at this. He says, are we as a church to be nothing more than just a community of men and women who show up on the weekends and take a little spiritual retreat here and there and read our Bibles every now and again. And we vigorously oppose all kinds of things like abortion or we don't watch X-rated movies or we don't use bad language or we smile a lot or we open doors for people or we just kind of get along with people. Is that why Jesus went through the bloody horror of Calvary? Is that why he emerged in shattering glory from the tomb? Is that why he poured out his Holy Spirit on the church? To just make you and me nicer men and women with just some better morals? Brennan goes on to say, I think the gospel is in fact absurd. And the life of Jesus is meaningless unless we believe that he lived, he died, and he rose Again, with this purpose in mind, to make us 
new creations. To make us new creations. Do you believe that? It goes back to our very first question that we had when we started this time a half hour ago. Is Jesus really God? That there's no other more important question than you could wrestle down than this question right here. A hundred years from now, this is all that's going to matter. Is Jesus really God? Let me ask you something, Parkview. All around Chicagoland, all of our campuses, do you believe that? Have you acknowledged that in your life? Have you accepted Jesus into your life? Jesus himself says in, in the book of Matthew, these are his words. He says, whoever acknowledges me before men... I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus says, listen, this is so good. Jesus says, here's the deal. If you will acknowledge me here on this earth, I'm 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 going to acknowledge you one day before my Father who is in heaven, who I'm standing right there with, who I'm the essence of, who I'm the form of. And and Jesus says, if you'll take a stand for me here, I'm going to take a stand for you up there. And it changes Everything. And I know some of you have done that in your life. You've accepted Jesus into your life. You've acknowledged who he is, that he is God. You've been baptized into him, picturing the death and burial and resurrection with your own life. Some of you have done that, but some of you haven't. Some of you have not had the opportunity to stand and acknowledge and declare that, you know what, I, here's the thing. I've never really acknowledged Jesus on this earth before men, which he says to do. So I'm, but I do believe that he is God. So here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to wrap up this time today and this whole series we're going to sing a song uh, together and I'm going to ask the bands to come out on on all the campuses and we're going to sing this song and, and here's the words to the song it just says this I believe in God our father I believe in Christ the son I believe in the Holy Spirit our God is three in one it goes on to say I believe in the resurrection that we will rise again, for I believe in the name of Jesus. In just a few moments, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to sing this song together. And here's what I want to ask of you. If you believe, if you acknowledge this in your life, when we get ready to stand and sing, especially when we get to that part that says, I believe in the resurrection. I believe that we will rise again. Here's what I want to ask you, Parkview, all around Chicagoland. I want to ask you to be ready to stand up, and I want to ask you to sing this song at the top of your lungs. I want us to just bolt this out today as our declaration, maybe more than you have ever sung before in your life. And, and one last thing, if, you're, if you want to, if you're comfortable while we're singing this song, I want to ask you just to extend a hand or raise a hand up towards God. And listen, the reason I ask you to do it's not because you're more spiritual or because, hey, look at me and look at who I, No, that is not what this means. You know what raising your hands means? It's, it's a sign of surrender. It's an international sign of surrender. Somebody comes at me and I go, whoa, 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 I'm, okay, I'm good, I surrender. What, what you're saying is this. What you're saying is, God, I believe. I believe in who you are in Jesus Christ. And so here's the thing. In just a moment, I'm going to pray and the band's going to lead us and sing. And when we do, I'm, I'm going to step down here at Orland and I'm going to join all of us all around Chicagoland. I'm going to step down there and I'm going to turn off my mic Okay, (laughs) and I'm going to bolt this out right there with you. Okay, okay, good, 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 okay. 
Let's pray. Let's, let's pray and then we'll sing. God, thanks for today. Thanks for this morning. Thanks for a time like this that we can dive in and, and study your word and, and, and see what you say about you and who you are and why you did what you did for us. And God, I just pray today that somehow in between the words that I have spoken, that you have spoken words to our heart and far beyond my humanness, God. God, you would be reigning supreme and that we would indeed be inclined to declare and surrender that Jesus is God and we love and serve you. And because you rose again, so will we. It's in Jesus' amazing, perfect name we pray. Amen.